The Bankless State of the Nations are brought to you by Aave. Aave is a borrowing and lending protocol on top of Ethereum, where you can deposit some of your favorite assets in order to borrow other assets from Aave, which is particularly well-suited to yield farming. If you don't want to sell your Ether, if you don't want to sell your Wi-Fi, you can deposit them into Aave and borrow stablecoins so you can use them in these various DeFi farms. What's cool about Aave is that it will give you a variable interest rate based on market conditions, but you can also pay a fixed interest rate to help you plan into the future. Check out Aave at Aave.com. If you want a better way to understand your DeFi portfolio, I recommend you go to zapper.fi and plug in your Ethereum addresses to get a comprehensive report as to your currently owned assets and where they are in Ethereum. If you were around for the 2017 bull market, it was characterized by refreshing Blockfolio over and over and over again. And anytime you would ever make a trade, you would have to manually update your Blockfolio to make sure that your portfolio was accurate. With Zapper, you don't have to do that because Zapper looks on-chain at your Ethereum addresses to see the assets that you have in various DeFi protocols. Not only does it tell you the assets that you own, but it also tells you if they are deposited into Aave, into Compound, what yield farm they're in, your predicted APY, and it'll even let you make investments into DeFi protocols right through their Zapper.fi portal making it really easy to compare and contrast different places as to where you can deploy your, your capital. Check them out at zapper.fi. Hello, Bankless Nation. Welcome to another episode of State of the Nation. This is episode 14. David and I have a lot to cover today. We also have a special guest, Kevin Owaki that will be coming on later. Really excited to be here. David, how you doing, man? How are things? Absolutely fantastic. It's that time of year again where I just get really optimistic about Ethereum's future, as if I'm ever not. But this is <laughs> yeah. kind of where the rubber meets the pavement. And so uh, when, when Kevin comes on in a second, we're going to talk about what it's like to fund the future of Ethereum. So that's what's going on this week. It's a Gitcoin-themed week, and I'm pretty excited to talk about it. Awesome, man. And I am seeing our production quality escalating ever since you've been full-time bankless, my friend. So like these commercials are going great. This is going to be a special episode. Thanks for DJing. So if it's your first State of the Nation episode, we do these weekly. And what David and I like to do is talk about what's happening, the events that are going on in the space, and relate it to big picture themes that we talk about in the newsletter, that we talk about in the podcast. We hope to always drop some insight and action items. This comes out on Tuesday, but we've changed the time. So now you can watch this live at 2 p.m. weekly Eastern time. So that's 11 Pacific time. And I, I can't do the other you know, uh, timestamp block, block times in my head, but um, you guys can figure out what UTC time that is. And hopefully this is a good time for all of you so you can watch live get your YouTube, uh, get your questions into YouTube as well. And then on Wednesdays, we release this to the podcast. Um, I guess a, a couple of announcements before we, we begin or, or things that are going on in the nation. We dropped a insanely cool podcast with Kane on Monday. David, what were your thoughts on that podcast, man? Like I was blown away by the roadmap. What did you like about it? Yeah, I really liked going into Kane's personal background because no one has done that yet, right? And yeah. I've, I've been obsessed with the idea that where there is code, there is social contract. And where there is social contract, there is like a reason behind it and a personality behind it. And Kane, as one of the, the leaders of the synthetic movement, 
kind of has his DNA written into the Synthetics protocol. And so no one's really explored that side of things. And so that's something that we definitely uh, were able to peel back the layers on with Kane and with Synthetics. So I thought that was fa- particularly fascinating. Yeah, so check out that podcast. It's uh, on your on your podcast uh, feed. So that came out on Monday. Mm-hmm. Also, David, you've been super busy, my friend. So you've been churning out another show that we call Meet the Nation. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about what Meet the Nation is and a, a few of the other shows that you've covered so far? Yeah, yeah. So keeping up with DeFi is difficult, right? Like every single week, there's a new announcement. Every single week, there's a new farm. Every single week, there's something new, right? And so this is a place where people can, uh, from teams, can go and meet the nation, right? Like teams will come on, explain what they do, explain why they're doing it, explain who they are, and explain what their like future roadmap is, right? There's a ton of innovation going on. And frankly, people like to learn visually and and, and, uh, with auditory whatever the the sound version of that is. Uh, and, and so like YouTube is a great place for this, right? And so we're going to start churning out the Meet the Nations. Uh, we have Bright ID coming on later today, which actually fits really well with this Gitcoin themed week uh, because uh, and Kevin will talk about it in a second. But Bright ID is this decentralized identity solution, which is really important for the space, right? Like Ryan, you had a fantastic tweet that was super short, super simple, where you said the first phase of crypto is we take back our money and the second phase of crypto is we take back our identity. And we need a decentralized identity solution like bright id in order to do that right so that's going to be fascinating uh we also have the based team coming on uh, uh maybe later this week there's a little bit of complication there because the DeFi founders are trying to remain anonymous and so there's going to be a little magic going on behind the scenes there anthony Cesano is coming on on thursday to talk about the token sets index which is brand new which i'm super excited about uh we just have some great projects lined up and so if you want uh, some team, some project that you don't understand or just want to give them more exposure at me on Twitter. I don't ask for being added re- uh, frequently, but if you want to see somebody on the Meet the Nation, let me know and we will get them on the books. Yes. And if you want a taste of Meet the Nation too, check out the episode on stable credit with Andre that David put out on Friday. David is keeping his promise of going full-time bankless and like just churning out this excellent content. So Meet the Nation is a great way to learn about new projects and what's going on. We've got a lot coming on the podcast too, including an episode with Hugh Karp that's going to ship next week, an episode on NFTs, an episode on Moloch, uh, just, just a lot of stuff going on. But David, Let's start with the question I always ask at the beginning of these State of the Nation episodes. What is the state of the nation this week, my friend? The state of the nation is funding. Funding. We are having fun while we are funding things. And again, this is like the Christmas, except it happens four times a year. So thank you, Gitcoin, for making Gitcoin a four four times a year thing. Uh, This is where, and especially this particular, uh, particular quarter, I think is going to be particularly fun because this is the first quarter that Gitcoin has been a thing during a quote unquote bull market, right? Like, and in addition to this, treasuries, DeFi protocol treasuries are also making money and therefore also donating to Gitcoin. So I think this is going to be a particularly fun time in Ethereum, in DeFi. Uh, this is when the Bitcoin maxis just get super salty that we are just being able to fund ourselves with our own money. And I think it's something that everyone should kind of stop and reflect uh, about Ethereum because the first thing Ether, Ethereum did was it made Ether, it made its own money. 
and then it made it valuable and now it's using its own money to fund its own projects right so like total self-sovereignty like total independence from anyone else like don't need to ask permission don't doesn't need to go to the banks and say hey will you please fund me we we will do it ourselves with gitcoin yeah super cool all right man well i think that's the perfect lead into our first topic then we're going to talk about also stable credit again and then a grab bag of other interesting things that are going on in the space but the main event is uh, talking about Gitcoin and what's going on there and the sustainability of Ethereum. So we brought on the best person we know to talk about this firsthand. So this is, you know, there's, someone told me, David, there's an Apple event going on, right? So uh, I think Kevin Owaki is the Steve Jobs of open source grants. <laughs> so take that Apple. I hope you're tuning in here, guys, instead of, instead of watching the Apple keynote. Uh, Kevin, are you there? It's super awesome to have you on Bankless State of the Nation, my friend. How are things? Hoi, hoi. Hi, Ryan. Hi, David. Thanks hey, so Kevin. Much for Welcome. Me. Uh, Welcome. Yeah, great, great to be here. Um, not very comfortable with the Steve Jobs comparison, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll roll with it. I forgot my black t-shirt and my uh, asshole-ish attitude, but, um, <laughs> okay. but yeah, we'll roll with it. Things are good. All yeah, right. we just launched Gitcoin Grants over the last 24 hours, round seven. Got 360K of matching funding that we will be distributing to the Ethereum community. And we're gonna be distributing it according to quadratic funding, which is a, a formula that optimizes for the poor and the many and not the rich and the few. So I'm really excited to enable the community to fund itself and to, and, um, and, and, and hopefully we can create some, some freelancers who just work for the open internet. I'm really excited to, uh, to be facilitating that with Gitcoin Grants Round 7. Well, that is awesome. We want to talk about all of that. But first, sir, have you got any sleep in the last 24 hours? I know it's like a, a ship day for, for yeah. uh, Gitcoin, but uh, how are you doing on the sleep side? Uh, I haven't gotten much sleep, um, and it's partially because of Gitcoin grants, but it's also because uh, I have two kids. So <laughs> used to no sleep already as well. Yeah, so, so Kevin, if no one, if, if somebody's new to the DeFi space and they haven't yet participated in Gitcoin, what is it, and why are so many Ethereum people so excited about it? For sure, um, Gitcoin started in 2017, and we we never did a token, we never did an ICO or anything. Um, it's just a place where you can get coins in exchange for doing software development. And so we've got a couple different ways that you can do that. We run a bunch of hackathons that allow you to get coins in exchange for working on hacks that our sponsors put up. And then uh, Gitcoin Grants is kind of like a crypto Patreon where anyone in the space who's doing work that is helpful to the community can create a Gitcoin grant. And then once per quarter, we put together a matching round of about 300K and we match the contributions to those, those Gitcoin grants. And, and what's cool about that is that as funding is coming in from your peers, the people who know you best and are funding it, the Ethereum Foundation and, and other people in the space are matching those contributions. So it's a really great way to raise some money once a quarter for, for projects that you're doing in the Ethereum space. So far, we've done uh, $6.5 million worth of funding for open source in, wow. the, in the last two years. So I'm um, starting to get to the point where, where people can quit their jobs and work for the open internet. And so in addition to going bankless, people on Gitcoin are going jobless, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, that's super awesome. So, okay, so maybe we could talk. So this is the seventh that you've done, the seventh actual uh, grant round. And you mm -hmm. mentioned something in the intro there, Kevin. Uh, you talked about quadratic funding. 
What mm. is quadratic funding? How, what, like, why is it unique? And, and how does the funding process, I guess, get calculated in, in these grant rounds? Sure. Yeah. Um, with quadratic funding, uh, so typical grant matching campaigns will be one-to-one, -one, which means that if you give $1, then uh, your the matching pool will, will match with a dollar. And quadratic funding is, um, Actually, can I use a can I use a visual aid? I'm not sure how many of the audience actually has has visual versus like audio. Yeah, yeah. If you want to share your screen, we can do this. We are okay. equipped. Yeah. For this. So, all right, sounds good. So, um, one of the problems that I've had recently is that it's really hard to describe quadratic funding, and one of the thing and like because it's it's a math formula. Um, it's basically this math formula that is the mathematically optimal way to fund. Uh, public goods in a democratic community. And this math formula is that the amount of matching that you receive is proportional to the sum of the square roots of the contributions, <laughs> which is uh, you you, you kind of have to be mathy to, to really understand why that's powerful. But we released this, this quadratic funding calculator at WTFisqf.com, where I can just quickly demo to you that if I have a grant that is funded with $10 from one contributor and another grant that is funded with 10 $1 contributions, then the matching amount of that second grant that is more democratically popular is going to be way, way, way higher than the one that raised the same amount, but from one person. So we, we have a matching formula that basically optimizes for the poor and the many instead of the rich and the few. And you know, if you're trying to push power to the edges and remove intermediaries, that's the way you do it with with small donations, not not from mega funders and not optimizing for whales. So this is like splitting the difference between one person, one vote and one dollar, one vote. Right. And so, like, let it be known that the whole one dollar, one vote is as old as time. And maybe it's not formalized in any real democracy, but like purchasing votes is a real thing. And what Gitcoin is doing is just kind of formalizing this as a, a in relationship to one person, one vote. Right. And so. The, the cool thing is if ever if there are a bunch of people that all want to fund this one thing but maybe for some reason this one thing is like giving money to poor people it's like well poor people are really interested in that right and so but they don't have the capital to to fund that but this gitcoin is like the demo uh, the, the democratizer the equalizer that allows for you know the people that can only throw a dollar a couple dollars to have a much louder much more amplified voice Yep, that's pretty much it. And, you know, in, in the blockchain space, I think that we're all about creating more digital democracy and pushing power to the edges, removing intermediary. So it, it, it's kind of walking, walking the walk, not just talking the talk. And I'm really super proud that the Ethereum community has started to fund itself this way because it's a great way. It's a great way to get new people in the ecosystem that uh, that are just starting out, get them get them wet their whistle on on starting to do Ethereum stuff. In fact, I know that one of our bankless hosts maybe had, had gotten their start on Gitcoin grants. Yeah, that, that is for sure. Before I was bankless, I was an independent content producer. And I got, and like for me, Gitcoin was the place where I got signal that my work was actually valued, right? Like I would post my articles on Medium and then I would get some claps and people would say, hey, nice, nice article. But that's not really the same as like receiving $5,000 in Gitcoin grants. 
uh, that's a different kind of signal, right? That that told that told me is like, oh, this is something that I can like sustain myself with, right? And so yeah, um, I I actually cl recently closed my Gitcoin grant because I no longer need it, uh, and and I kind of graduated. I consider myself like a Gitcoin graduate. There we go. We'll have to we'll have to meme that eventually. <laughs> do you, do you have like a lot of stories like that, Kevin? Or is is David's case um, fairly common, right? So I've seen uh, some startup teams even you know come out of this. Um, uh, Zapper, who is now a yeah. bankless sponsor, is actually actually one. I recall funding one of their early Gitcoin grants, and they've they've spun that up, and now they have an entire company. Is that a pretty common scenario? Yeah, there's a, there's certainly a handful of people that made it through the bear market partially on their Gitcoin donations. One of the <laughs> thing that one of the things that Vitalik is really passionate about is this idea of a quadratic freelancer. So basically, once quadratic funding gets up to enough money then there's going to be this threshold where anyone making over X thousand dollars per quarter off of Gitcoin can just like quit their job and work for the open internet. And that's kind of our mission is to enable people to quit their jobs and work for the open internet. Um, and it's more important to be able to provide that funding during a bear market, I think, than during a bull market where people are making money to quit their jobs off of their bags. Um, it's about providing that sort of foundation for people to be able to quit their jobs because their peers respect what they're doing. And um, yeah, there's a, there's on the order of six to twelve people that are Gitcoin graduates, and then there's there's three or four quadratic freelancers right now. So um, I want to 10x that in the next in the next three or four years. And um, you know, I'd really like it if if we can 10x the number of people who can come into the Ethereum space and do meaningful work because we have this 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 funding mechanism. So still working on that, but uh, right now we're doing about 500k per quarter through Gitcoin grants. And my vision is to be able to do five million per quarter through Gitcoin grants, and you can do way more quadratic freelancers when that happens. Okay, can we talk about this? So I am um, I'm showing a tweet, uh, or or I was um, sh showing a tweet, Kevin, where you were talking about um, the the current. Let's see. Let me click over to it. The the current uh, quadratic funders, uh, I suppose, who are you know, funding a lot of this activity and, and putting their, their money up front um, as part of it. And in previous rounds, you've had a couple of, I guess, whale kind of entities that have funded these grants. Consensus has been one. Also, the Ethereum Foundation has been another. But what is incredibly exciting to see, at least for me, is that this round, round seven, we're starting to get donations outside of those two core entities. So we're starting to get them from uh, DeFi protocols. Uh, Wiren, we've talked about a lot on, on Bankless, is actually allocating a percentage uh, of, I believe, their, their entire capital pool to this. Can you talk about that? Like, how did all of this come about? Who are the, the current um, donors in, in round seven? And how much are we talking? Like how much growth are we seeing? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so when Gitcoin Grants was just getting off of the ground, a lot of our funding came from the Ethereum Foundation and a small amount of it came from consensus. I think people use those two interchangeably, but it's actually mostly been the Ethereum Foundation. And the, 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 thing, the thing that has been really promising this round is that the mechanism is sort of validated. I mean, Vitalik's written four blog posts about it and we know where the warts are and it gets better every round. And so I think we've reached a level of legitimacy in the community where it's like, oh, Gitcoin's not just talking about funding these, these public goods. Gitcoin is actually 
doing it. And they've got this mechanism that's scalable and secure that can do it. And, and, and the other thing that has happened is that ETH is not at $80 anymore. So we actually have uh, a lot of protocols that are doing pretty well financially. And so one of the things that, that I, I've been proposing in the governance proposals of Wi-Fi and YAM and other DeFi protocols is, hey, why don't you give back 1% of your treasury to Gitcoin and not, not to Gitcoin the team, but like to Gitcoin grants. And so, you know, uh, Andre is a Gitcoin alumni from Wi-Fi and several other people in the Ethereum community are Gitcoin alumni. And so there's an opportunity to to pay it forward and to create the next generation of entrepreneurs who are going to be in the, in the, in the Ethereum space and also to fund core infrastructure in the Ethereum space. And I think that that's a rational economic act is if your bags are built on top of Geth and Parity and LibP2P and ETH1 and MetaMask and all of these DeFi apps that are open source and maybe some of them don't have business models, it's a rational economic act to make sure that the infrastructure underneath your bags is, is funded. And so we started to see not only DeFi protocols, but major whales in the space like Andre, Robert Lesnar recently donated to, uh, to Gitcoin grants. And so we have actually reached a threshold where more money is coming from the community to fund public goods than the Ethereum Foundation. And that, that makes me really, really happy because the Ethereum Foundation, as great as they are, is not going to exist forever, but the DeFi community is going to exist forever. And so if, if we can kind of create that altruism as a standard, as a social norm in the Ethereum community, we could potentially fund our public goods in, in perpetuity. And so, you know, in a, in a blockchain world in which there is no taxation in order to co in, in order to fund public goods, and I don't think there should be taxation. Uh, I don't think any, we should do coercive stuff like, like, uh, like tax people in order to fund our public goods. Then, um, you know, these donations from these DeFi protocols and from these whales are a super important thing. And oh, you've pulled up Gitcoin grants, and you can you can sort of see the uh, the fellowship of of Gitcoin of, of Gitcoin funders. And so it's it's pretty exciting to see these people on on Gitcoin grants funding the the rounds. Yearn Finance has funded 155k Future Fund, uh, Defiance Capital, Mariano from from Maker. All of these different people have been giving back with Gitcoin grants, and it's been super promising. That's huge. And, and you mentioned uh, some of the, I guess, uh, social norms that are being created, right? So here is, here is Kane from Synthetics, uh, who said, let it, not, let it not be said that I'm susceptible to public shaming. Synthetics is in. And he is, <laughs> he is responding to uh, Andre's lead, um, who is inviting basically all of these DeFi protocols that, let's call it what it is, have gotten rich in the past. Their treasuries have gotten rich in the past six months to go give back to the, the public goods that made all of it possible. So Andre kind of took some, some lead and threw down the gauntlet and said, you know, like, uh, Wyern's in, we're doing this. Um, it's past our governance, 1%. And now you guys should do it too. And he made the call to like uh, Ave and, and Balancer and Robert Leshner. And now Kane's jumping in. So it's starting to be sort of this social, social norm, as you said, Kevin, that like, hey, if DeFi protocols are getting rich on top of Ethereum, then they need to give back. And it should be opt-in, right? It should be, it's not um, a forced taxation of public goods. It's, it's an optional donation to these public goods. Um, and that's been phenomenal to see. This is really, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, but 
this is the first time we've seen that in, in such, a, such a magnitude. Do you think it's just kind of the, the bull market? People have more money to spend and um, they're, they're now able to do that with the success of these DeFi protocols? Yeah, I think that it's partially the bull market. People are feeling uh, a lot more fortunate. And, you know, the bull market is not spread evenly. I think there's a lot of assets from 2017 that are still in bear market. But the ones that are breaking new ground, like Wi-Fi uh, and Compound, are certainly doing well. And I think that they feel need to, to give back. And I also think it's just the legitimacy of quadratic funding. It's no longer just a paper by Vitalik and Glenn anymore. It's been proven to, to work in, in the wild. And so it's about having that scalable, credible, credibly neutral mechanism for funding public goods that I think is really important. And, um, you know, we can get into how that scales later, but to the tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars, it actually has been working pretty well so far. Well, I just want to talk one, one second about the numbers here. So if we had every D5 protocol following Wyern's uh, lead of taking mm -hmm. 1% of their treasury and mm -hmm. periodically um, giving that back in the form of, of a Gitcoin type donation, right? I mean, have you done the math? Like how much, how much would that be uh, as yeah. these protocols grow? Yeah, it's tough because, you know, the, the metric that everyone can track is market cap. And I think that for most of these proposals, what we're looking at is how much of their treasury would actually go to fund public goods. And I just don't know what the aggregate amount of treasuries are in, in the space, but uh, I think that it's probably quite substantial and we're talking about the millions of dollars per quarter. So it's possible that I could get to my goal of $5 million per quarter of public goods just by using treasury uh, funding alone through these DeFi protocols. But let's not forget, there are also founders who are uh, DeFi founders and DeFi whales who are contributing a stake and that is not connected to, to any protocol, protocol related funding. And so there's other ways to, to pull donations for these things other than just the treasuries. It's just the treasuries are really attractive because they'll exist in perpetuity, which creates, you know, that, that stable baseline, I think, is really important. One thing I'm really excited about is, is the fact that at some point, like we call these Gitcoin grants and, and donating to Gitcoin. But at some point, especially for the whales, it's straight up rational for them to fund things <laughs> yeah. in Ethereum, right? Like if you mm -hmm. if you are some like 10,000 ETH plus whale, like at some point you need to make sure that the ecosystem surrounding your Ether, making your Ether more valuable gets funded, right? Can you talk about that a little mm -hmm. bit, Kevin? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we're, we're in a, a crypto ecosystem in which fundamentals increasingly matter. And so if you want Ethereum to have value, it, uh, it, it's in your best interest to make sure that there are no black swan events that happen on the Ethereum, uh, in the Ethereum space with the infrastructure layer, but it's also in your best interest to make sure that new DeFi apps are coming out. And because of composability, when you have this compounding value creation in the Ethereum ecosystem. And so if you're a whale and you wanna see the Ethereum community succeed, giving to Ethereum public goods is a really great way to, to do that because it just it just prevents those black swan events and it, it helps those those dApps succeed. So, um, you know, Ethereum is growing for many reasons and community is is one of them. And I think the community funding, the community is a really positive bullish trend for, for the Ethereum space. Kevin, we have a question coming in from YouTube saying, do projects need to get approved to be eligible to get into a Gitcoin grant round? Is it up to the community to weed out projects that do not re meet the requirements of a public good? Yeah. Um, so Gitcoin 
is doing our best to not be a central intermediary that you have to that you have to curry favor with in order to be on the platform. Anyone can submit a grant to to Gitcoin, and we'll probably take a look at it just to make sure it's not an outright fraud. And and uh, other than that, there's not an approval that you need from me or anyone on my team. And we do have a flagging system wherein people can say, hey, I think this is maybe a private good, not a public good. And and uh, you can follow at Gitcoin Disputes on Twitter if you want to get out your popcorn and, and see where the disputes are on the platform. <laughs> a lot of them are not cut and dry. And so I think that maybe one of the things you'll see from us in the next three months is introducing some sort of governance layer in which the community community uh, particularly the community that has funded public goods on Gitcoin can decide whether or not a grant is breaking the rules or not. But for now, you know, for now, it's just we kind of keep an eye on Twitter and see roughly what the sentiment is. And if someone's doing something that's an outright lie or fraud, then we'll remove them. But it's pretty thin from a governance and an approval perspective right now. And that's because we don't want to be an intermediary. We want, we want to be credibly neutral. We want the community to decide what to fund. And the great thing about quadratic funding is that it optimizes for what the community sentiment is. So it's already got that built in, that built in resistance to, to crappy projects. So Kevin, talk about- Did you, the, did you the, guys- Sorry, go ahead, Ryan. Oh, um, I, I just, a quick question on that. I was, I was just wondering, Kevin, did you guys, I used to call it hate voting, right? Which was, you could actually give a negative donation. Um, mm -hmm. Is that still in Gitcoin? I know it was in one or two of the previous rounds. Did that work out or not so much? And maybe you could describe what that is. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure you don't call it hate voting. <laughs> yeah, if I if I did, uh, then I think we would have rebranded it by now. So <laughs> yeah. the idea, so this is straight out of Glenn and Vitalik's paper with for the quadratic funding paper, and it's called negative voting. And the idea is that the example that I showed you earlier is that if a grant gets 10 contributions from 10 different contributors, then its match will grow much higher. And, and so there's this problem where that can optimize for more controversial figures. Basically, like if, if you're creating a bunch of noise and, you know, 51% of those people really love the work that you're doing, but 49% think that you're being an asshole. Um, then there's no real way for those those contributors who are against you to express their preference other than funding every single other grant on the platform except for you. Hmm. And and so uh, basically negative voting is just an automated way to fund every other grant on the platform except for you. And we call it negative voting. The idea is that you could you could you could vote with your dollars against a grant and that money, the money that you pay with would go to the matching round and it would count against your match total. So those, those 10 contributions of $1 I used in my example earlier, if they were 10 negative contributions of $1 each, then it would really reduce your, your match amount. And that, what that does is it dampens controversial actors and it sort of weeds out from a mechanism design perspective, the people who are not only creating public goods, but creating public bads, which is, you know, I don't know if Vitalik would approve of the word public bad. It's something I just made up. But um, it turned out that in, in practice, like people are emotional creatures and me, in me voting against you kind of goes against the spirit and the ethos of Gitcoin. And so we ended up removing it because of the because it, it sort of violated the ethos of Gitcoin. And we haven't. Yeah, it, it, it's still on. It's 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 still an unsolved question of basically how you dampen the controversial actors. And I think you'll see us evolving our governance in rounds eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12 in order to figure that out. 
I can, I can see psychologically how it, it you just felt like that from, from a, like a human perspective, like you could receive 30 positive contributions, like saying, mm-hmm. Hey, your freelance work is fantastic. And then that, that one negative comes in and it just, it just almost takes away from the 30, right? Like just in, in your head, it just, it feels like it hurts more. Like somebody's actively um, trying to uh, vote against yeah. you feels more painful uh, for, for whatever reason. I guess that's how we're wired. Yeah. And I remember there were some people who were like, it's, it's not like a personal thing. I just, yeah. I, it, it, but like, but then you get tagged in these Twitter threads and like everyone's debating it and it becomes like a, a, a giant thing. And so it, you, we just decided the, the overwhelming community sentiment was Kevin, please remove this. And so we haven't done it since round five. I'd actually like to express the opposite opinion where, um, gosh, I can't, I can't remember. I, I was received the recipient of some negative votes, uh, last time. And, you know, again, like it hurts because like, Oh, well that's money, but also at the same time, and what is a part of the ethos of, of, you know, quadratic funding is funding via the market. Right. And, uh, uh, oh yeah, well maybe I shouldn't, I, I do remember the guy, but maybe I shouldn't name his names, but like he's, I would consider him a friend and I really value the work that he's does. And he voted mm-hmm. negative on me simply because he perceived the value that I was receiving to be above and beyond the value that I should have received in relationship mm-hmm. to others. Right. And so there was no ill will. There was just like, you know, I think the market, the, the guy, the individual said that he thought that the market was overvaluing my work and that other work should be more valued. Uh, and I think that does kind of go in line with the ethos of quadratic funding because that whole thing is trying to get the market to determine how much value should be sent where. So you can actually chalk me up as a, a pro on the negative voting side of things. I'm sorry I negative voted you that one time, David. <laughs> but thanks for not doxing me. <laughs> there were actually like three or four people. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> All right. So, okay. Um so I guess, you know, how do you, how do you guys prevent some of the cartel activities mm-hmm. that are going on? I, I'm seeing a bunch of questions coming on uh, YouTube about that. Like, so there could be sort of a, a group that, that seeks to promote only their cartel group members on Gitcoin and channel all, all of kind of the, the gifts through them. Has that been a problem so far? Or are you just at the scale where you haven't felt that kind of problem? Or do you, do you expect it in the future? What do you, what, how do you take precautions against it? Yeah, well, let me answer your question with a question. Um, is the Meta Cartel a cartel? Well, they have cartel in their name, so <laughs> yes on that one. Okay, uh, but so they're kind of named that in a fun way. But you know what I meant when I asked that is like, are they doing cartel behavior? As in, like when I think of cartel, I think of like trafficking drugs into the country. Um, whereas I think Meta Cartel has done some pretty fuck and some pretty bomb stuff in the space. And so, you know, the question for me is like, if there's a group of people who like consistently work together to produce value, uh, is it is that something that, that the Gitcoin grants formula should optimize for? And I should say that like the meta cartel grants do well every single round. And I think that that's a good thing, not, not a bad thing. Um, and, I, and I think that the reason why the meta cartel grants do a really good job every round is because they're actually providing value value to the, to the ecosystem. And like I said, meta, uh, quadratic funding optimizes for the poor and the many, not the rich and the few. That's meta cartel. Meta cartel is like 
other than ETH Global, that's like the entry point into into the Ethereum space. And so uh, I think it's a good thing that that Meta Cartel and groups like that are, are really done well in quadratic funding. But I do think it's really bad if there is a quid pro quo or some sort of collusion or bribery wherein uh, I, person X could say to all of their all of their Twitter followers, hey, I'll give you each a dollar and contribute 50 cents to my Gitcoin grant and we will uh, and, and I'll give you, you know, you can keep the other 50 cents, but I'll get all this matching fund. And that actually happened two rounds ago. We we saw that there was a grant that was rising in the rankings really, really fast, rel especially like relative to its social capital that it had in the ecosystem. And then we looked at all the transactions and it was just one Ethereum account funding 100 oh, people no. and then the money going back. And so we're like, oh, this is, this is a collusion attack. This is a bribery attack. And so we posted this whole long tweet storm about how we were going to, consider each of those contributions or sorry each of those actors to be one actor we just collapsed the identity vector down to that one actor because it was just one person funding them all um so that's like an example of of a collusion attack that we aim to prevent and we have some some tripwires built into the system to prevent that but we also have this thing called uh, pairwise bonding that Vitalik came up with. And, and it's a automatic way that doesn't require, like Kevin can th sleep through the night and pairwise bonding just works without me having to think about it. Pairwise bonding works is that it looks at every group of end contributors in the Gitcoin grants round. And if they are only contributing to the same grants as each other, it realizes that they're colluding and it dampens back their, their, their contributions. Whereas if everyone is contributing to different grants, like if there's entropy in that um, in, in, in that set, then it's considered to be a more democratic uh, contribution pattern. And so pairwise bonding is a way of bonding contributors to each other and figuring out if they're only contributing to the same grants. And if they are, then dampening those, those contributions. So there, this is an ongoing area of research, but Vitalik is like galaxy brain dropping like pairwise bonding stuff on us. We're building a thing called civil rank and collusion rank where we can test what which grants are colluding and which ones aren't. And we're providing data back to the researchers in order to solve this problem. And and I, the way I look at it is as an iterative problem. Right now, we can we can absolutely ward off unsophisticated attacks. We're working on sophisticated attacks. And then like the next level is like nation state level, like North Korea, like stopping the, I, I don't think that we're doing enough money right now for North Korea to care about Bitcoin grants, but like when we're doing $5 million per quarter, maybe we will be. And it's about, it's about every iteration climbing that civil resistance, that collusion resistance stack. And so we built some sophisticated technology to, to take care of it. I don't know if that'll satisfy all the questions that you're getting on YouTube, but we're definitely taking it seriously. And, and I think that that's, that's the TLDR. Absolutely. Any, anytime there is a crypto economic protocol, and I would consider quadratic funding and Gitcoin one of those, there is a way to attack it, right? And so this seems like your challenge. So where does um, Bright ID and decentralized identity fit into the Gitcoin stack? Yeah, so Bright ID is an investment that we made this round. And the exciting thing about Bright ID is that it's really hard to forge an identity. So if you remember earlier, I said that 10 contributors that are contributing $1 each to a grant will fare much better than one contributor who is giving $10 to a grant. And that of course creates a crypto economic incentive to make up new identities. 
And, and so basically that new identity attack is, is a sock puppet account. It's called a civil attack. And so basically there is an ongoing effort to create what's called civil resistance in these systems. And bright ID is this really, this really, really cool mechanism in which you can have DIDs, decentralized identities that verify each other. So basically, um, I don't know if you guys, if y'all have bright ID on your phone, but if you do, I could create a, a uh, I, could, I could give you my QR code right here. And I could say, hey, hey scans QR code and let's connect to each other. And my identity asserts that your identity is real and your identity asserts that my identity is real. Let me just take off my virtual background so that we can actually scan each other. Yeah. And so it's about creating identity mechanisms that are, that are not reliant on the government, that are reliant on decentralized technology in order to uh, in, in order to verify each other. So cool. it looks so like David's about connected. to, oh, I, you're so connected. Look at this. Look at, look at how clean wow. shaven and young oh David my was God. before he got into the, before he got into the crypto. Fun, fun fact, I'm standing outside of the Wells Fargo bank headquarters in downtown Seattle. <laughs> in that, in that photo, yeah. if you zoom out, yeah. one day we'll release the uncut version of that photo, David. <laughs> there you go. I, I'm Wait. your first Bright ID connection, David. So you got to get your DID the ID rolling. Well, we're, we're okay, doing so, the Bright ID team on Meet the Nation later today, so I'll have at yeah, least two more. Yeah, I, I want to I watch that, guys, because what yeah. um, I feel like Ethereum has talked about decentralized identity for a while. There have been another pro number of projects that have kind of come and not really gotten traction and, and kind of gone. Is Bright Idea kind of a different take on this? I guess we'll find out on Meet the Nation, right? But like, what's the, what's the, uh, the 30 seconds on it? Yeah, so Bright ID is an iPhone and Android app that allows you to just sort of assert that you vouch that, you vouch that someone's identity is, is a real identity. And so through the Gitcoin grants round, we're going to be populating Bright ID's social graph with them by giving a match bonus to every person who verifies on Bright ID. And we're also going to be hosting Bright ID matching parties every single day in which you can kind of hang out with people, talk about Ethereum and get each other's identity validated through the app. So I see this as, I see Gitcoin Grants as an opportunity to populate Bright ID's social graph. And I am really, really long on taking social graphs and pulling them out of Facebook and giving people control of their own social graph. And I think that it's actually a huge, 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 huge investment in digital democracy to be able to tell the difference between humans and bots online. And we can create civil resistant DAOs and better digital dem democratic systems once Bright ID takes off. So uh, I'm pretty pumped about Bright ID and the impact it could have as we go west, as we go more bankless. And uh, I think that Bright ID is going to have a pretty strong so social graph after this Gitcoin Grants round. So I'm okay. And so that, that social graph, the thing you just did with David, right? What, what that is doing is it's basically um, tying David's identity, which you have attested to, and maybe a number of others in the social graph attest to it, but it's tying that to an Ethereum address, right? So it's saying this particular, like, decentralized bank account, bankless bank account is David's. He owns it. He has the private keys. That's what it's doing, right? Um, so it's it's connecting what's called a DID to each other. And, you know, just because we don't want to dox bank accounts, like people can choose to associate their DID with an Ethereum address subject to I like, Gitcoin will not ever publicly connect your Ethereum address to your DID address because we don't want to dox you. But, right. um, but, but yeah, it's a DID network. Very cool. Yeah, that's powerful stuff. 
Okay. So another, I guess, uh, tech improvement that you guys have come up with this round, Kevin, is you started to incorporate some layer two payment type solutions. So, you know, we're, we're saving resources, we're saving gas this round. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So gas prices have been high on the Ethereum network for the last month or so. And one of the things that we really wanted to do was make it super easy to transact on Gitcoin grants this round. And so uh, basically when you check out, like say you have a bunch of Gitcoin grants in your cart, you can go and we basically will give now two checkout options for you. You're able to either check out on layer one, which is on the Ethereum network, or we allow you to deposit some funds into layer two, this, this technology called ZK Sync. And once you've got the funds in ZK Sync, it is almost free to, to contribute on, on Gitcoin grants. And so I've been loading up a uh, hundred die at a time into ZK Sync. And then every time I check out, I can check out for pennies, which is really an amazing thing. And I don't think, I think that when people complain about Ethereum not scaling, they don't realize that Layer two is here today. Like we integrated layer two without having to wait for ETH2, without having to wait for sharding, without having to wait for proof of stake. Layer two is here today. Ethereum is scaling today. And we've proven it by putting ZK Sync on Gitcoin grants. So yeah, check out once or twice with, with each checkout option and compare and contrast the experience. I think that the technology is ready today. And the cool thing about ZK Sync is not only is it faster, but it also has almost the security guarantees of layer one. These optimistic or these zero knowledge rollups have like a pretty strong, um, have a pretty strong security guarantee in them. So uh, I'm pretty pumped on that as well. And this is all from the Loopring team, right? ZK Sync. Uh, ZK Sync is a zero knowledge rollup, uh, and Loopring is another zero knowledge rollup protocol. Uh, we're actually planning on doing Loopring in round eight, which will be in two months. But they're different projects. Gotcha. Okay. So can, I've got a, a screen up um, right here, Kevin. So can you kind of show how it's, how, how it works, how it's different? So EIP 1559, big fan. I'm a big fan, Kevin. I want to give some money to EIP 1559 because I want that sweet ETH scarcity engine to start getting activated. Uh, I, do I just add this to cart and then mm -hmm. I have an option to check out? Is, is that what I'm doing here? Yeah, that's right. If you click add to cart, then you'll see a little sidebar that will load a uh, that grant into your cart. And then typically people will go shopping and add a couple different grants to 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 their cart. But uh, when you're ready to check out, you click that checkout button right there. Okay. And then so that should take and then that should take you to the cart page uh, in which you'll be given an option to do ZK checkout or bulk checkout. Okay. So loading right now. So I've just decided to give $1 to EIP 1559, which hopefully will get quadratically matched with tons of other um, yeah. Yeah, likely givers. Likely, very likely. That's yeah. a popular one. So this is actually a bad one to do as an example, because I've been talking to Tim and he was like, we raised enough money in the last round and we're not going to be participating in this round. So there okay. is no CLR match for EIP 1559. Um, but, but yes, it, in general, that's the general use case. Um, seems like your cart is a little bit slow and I'm wondering if that's on our end. I've been doing a lot of performance hacking the last week or so, but you also have a lot of tabs open. So I don't know. Yeah, I do. And Zoom <laughs> slows it down. All right. So we can maybe, uh, imagine I'm getting a bad gateway. So we can maybe imagine what happened. So anyway, I got to the cart, right. And then sure. I'm just presented an option to either check out like, you know, to, to, to do the transaction on main chain or ZK sync. And if ZK sync, yeah. 
then there's a, an initial fee, right? Like I have to pay some gas costs to, to create this new ZK sync account. Yeah. Here, um, Correct. Let, let me actually, I'll maybe fund the bankless grant right here. Um, oh, wow. and, to, and by the way, on that, on that gateway that you got, I have to, I have to admit that I'm deploying something right now. And, uh, that, that may be why, uh, that may be why you got the, the gateway uh, anyway. So yes, uh, add a couple grants to your, to your cart right here. I'm going to add ETH hub and crypto economic study to the, uh, to my cart as well. Of course, bankless, because I want more people to go West. And, and as I go to the cart right here, uh, I will see the three grants that I added to cart right here. And I am going to tell Bankless, great job, ETHUB, great job. And I'm going to tell Crypto Economics Study that I love the mission of their project because I love crypto economics. Um, I'm going to fund each of them with 15 DAI instead of 5 DAI. And then, as promised, I will have the option to check out with ZK Sync, which is the layer two technology, or I can check out with the standard checkout, which is the layer one technology. And so basically the, the way it works is that if I, if I check out with ZK Sync, which is the layer two technology, I just have to sign a couple messages. And these are just signatures. They're not actually Ethereum transactions. They're just me signing that, uh, that I own the, the Gitcoin account. And then I click this this uh, donation transaction button, which is also a signature that is going to be going to broadcast to the to the zk sync network. And so basically, it the estimated processing time for this transaction is under one minute, and I'm barely going to pay any gas because it's a layer two piece of technology. Look, sending transfer one one of four, uh, and it's going to take take less than a minute to do. So yeah, I think that that's the sort of the power of layer two is that I'm able to check out in a matter of 15 seconds without paying a ton of gas fee. And this is of course live in the Ethereum network today. So pretty pumped about that. That is awesome. That sounds huge. Beautiful, beautiful. Kevin, uh, if people want to go donate, where should they go? Uh, just go to gitcoin.co slash grants. If you wanna fund public goods in the Ethereum ecosystem, and send us a tweet on Twitter at, at Gitcoin. Thanks so much, Kevin. You know, last thing I just want to say about this is it feels like what uh, you've created and what the Ethereum ecosystem is, is, is creating is a sustainable way to fund Ethereum development protocol public goods without issuance, without increased issuance, without a forced taxation. And it strikes me that entire ETH killer projects have been born based on this premise that uh, there needs to be a mandated public goods funding process and kind of a dev fund as part yeah. of the core protocol. Um, Ethereum has always said, no, like that's, uh, that would remove the credible neutrality of the system, right? We can't you know, park, park issuance into a, a dev fund because then who votes where the money goes. And, and this is essentially um, creating an opt-in way to do that, to fund public goods without increasing the issuance or supply of Ethereum. It just seems super like, like a big deal that this is happening all organically. What's your take on that? Uh, I think that you're, you're right, that it's a positive thing to fund public goods without coercive taxation. One of the things that I've been trying to do is sort of break, when people hear let's fund public goods, they think of 
they think of coercive government taxation. And I think that that's a relic of the industrial era. In the information age, we're going to be able to fund our public goods without taxation. Uh, doesn't feel, <laughs> it, it feels, it may feel organic from the outside, but for me, it's felt like pushing a boulder uphill for three <laughs> years. And like, thankfully, we're finally starting to get over the hill and it's starting to get some momentum with Andre and Kane and Brian Leshner and all these amazing people donating to public goods on the Ethereum ecosystem. But yeah, I, I think it's a super positive thing that people are realizing that they're standing on the shoulders of giants and we're all building on top of open source software and we're starting to support each other because uh, that's the kind of community that I want to live in. I want to live in a world in which in which uh, there is open source software that that I can clone and download for free. And there's other public goods that I'm just really passionate uh, about. Um, you know, clean air has been a real big one in the United States for the last for the last couple of weeks with the entire West being on fire. I think that you don't realize that you don't have public goods until they're gone, until you're until you're breathing smoky air or you know you're stuck with windows xp phone you don't realize how much value you get out of public goods and so i just want to make sure that that my kids grow up in a world where public goods are well funded and and that's kind of what we're doing with gitcoin it's been a super satisfying project to work on kevin i want to take a moment and tease our future upcoming episode uh on the bankless pod we're going to bring you on to talk about meditations on moloch and how human coordination failure is the biggest threat to humanity and how Gitcoin and a couple other interesting strategies going around in the crypto world can offer a tool to slay Moloch. Uh, there is uh, a lot of things I just said that we haven't yet talked about on the Bankless pod, but uh, get used to it because we're going to be talking about these things. Also, Amin Soleimani, respond to my messages because we want you on it. <laughs> All right, awesome, Kevin. Thanks so much. Thanks for spending the time. So we have Bankless Nation. We have a couple more topics to cover, but before we do, we're going to get to uh, some additional sponsor ad slots that David has put together. Cool. All right, thanks, Kevin. The Bankless State of the Nations. The Bankless State of the Nations are also brought to you by Monolith. Monolith is a really important tool to help you go bankless, but still let you buy your groceries at your local grocery store. Monolith will ship you a very sexy Visa card that you can use wherever Visa is accepted, which is basically the whole world. But instead of using the dollars in your bank account, it uses the die in your Monolith smart contract wallet. Something brand new out of Monolith is the ability to add funds directly to your Monolith wallet without having to go through a centralized exchange like Coinbase or Binance or whatever. Getting your fiat money directly into Ethereum straight through Monolith is a really powerful tool to remove the influence of centralized intermediaries in this world. Now with Monolith, you can buy DAI straight into your Monolith wallet with a 0% fee, which is absolutely insane. So check them out at monolith.xyz and get your Monolith Visa card today. You know that random string of characters that you have to pass to your friends and family to show them what your Ethereum address is and they just don't get it? Unstoppable Domains fixes that problem. With Unstoppable Domains, you get a human readable name so you can tell them to, instead of paying you at 0x1743q4, you can just tell them, hey, pay me at davidhoffman.xyz or davidhoffman.zil. You don't have to ever worry about sending the wrong address because it's human readable. And this works for not just Ethereum, but for Bitcoin, for Litecoin, for any blockchain that works with unstoppable domains. You can even tell Bitcoiners to send you Bitcoin to davidhoffman.eth. They even allow you to set up uncensorable websites that are always accessible, even if the Chinese nation state doesn't want them to be. Check them out at unstoppabledomains.com.
All right, David, that was just uh, fantastic with Kevin. I'm, I'm super bullish on uh, what the Ethereum ecosystem is creating there and its sustainability moving forward. You know, something else I'm bullish on, but I'm not sure exactly all of the details, but is this uh, stable credit system that Yearn is rolling out? You did a video with Andre from Yearn about this on Friday. I watched the video. I think I like... I 80% feel like I understand it, mm -hmm. but not a hundred percent. What is this thing? How would you like summarize it, David? What is the stable credit system that a uh, wire is putting in place? It seems like some kind of a stable coin. Right. Is it more than that too? Yeah, it is a whole bunch of things. And that's why people are having such a hard time explaining it. And I think we're not really going to know what it is until it's out in production, right? Until it's actually deployed on mainnet. But Yes, at the end of the day, it is a new stablecoin and it is a new protocol for generating that stablecoin, right? And so it's kind of a, it's just a collection of many different uh, primitives that we've all seen in the DeFi space stuck together, right? And this is the beauty of composability and open source engineering, right? And so uh, what it is, uh, I've kind of, in my mind, considered it like a MakerDAO 3.0, right? Um, Sorry, sorry to, to call call it the new and improved maker, but it kind of is what it is. And so it's it's maker. It's it's a new multi-collateral depositing uh, system that balances assets organically using uh, the bonding curves, a la Uniswap, right? And so it, it's it's like maker multi-collateral die in the sense that you can use many different assets to deposit into a into a uh, protocol. And then that protocol incentivizes or disincentivizes assets that are under or over utilized, right? And so if too many people have done had have uh, submitted link and not very many people have submitted Ave, it will incentivize a rebalancing of that, uh, and and as a result, it will produce stable credit USD, which is a stablecoin that is uh, uh, pegged to the dollar via the Chainlink Oracle system. And so this is highly dependent on Chainlink Oracles, which kind of makes me a little bit nervous, but so far so good with Chainlink. Uh, and so think of it like a, a combination of multi-collateral DAI of a borrowing lending protocol like Compounder Aave mixed with an, a, uh, an AMM utilization uh, market that also produces a new stablecoin using Chainlink oracles to price the stablecoin. So it's all three of these things all at once. Okay. All right. So I'm, I'm going to try to wrap my head around what you just said. So um, first of all, there's a stablecoin that comes out the other the other side of yes, this, exactly. uh, like a die, basically, yeah. right? And that that stablecoin is a um, asset backed stablecoin like die. So yes. it's. Uh, you know, it's not like a um, USDC, which has actual dollars, US dollars in a bank account somewhere that, that Coinbase uh, maintains and owns. This is backed by other tokens, other DeFi assets in the same way that DAI is, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. All right. So I'm with you so far. And then like multi-collateral DAI, you can put basically any asset that the protocol supports inside of it. So yes. I could put um, USTC in, I could put ETH in, I could put DAI in, I could put LINK in, whatever I want that is an ERC-20 that the protocol accepts. Is that yes. true? Yes, and the protocol accepts things that have chain link oracles. 
So you can't just mint your own brand new token. Got it. You can't just randomly just mint shitcoin and a trillion supply and then drain the whole system because that, that thing won't have a chain link oracle. So it needs to have okay. a chain link price oracle. So it has that Oracle, I guess, dependency or weakness, right? But to be fair, so does DAI. It's just um, DAI is dependent on Maker's Oracle system exactly. rather than right. rather than Chainlink. Right. Okay, so I'm with you there. So we produce this this stablecoin, and it, it, it's also a um, a credit system, I suppose. So if I have some asset that I don't want to sell, and I want to borrow against that asset, uh, anything that Chainlink supports. I can deposit that into a, a collateral debt position, a CDP, right, mm -hmm. uh, of yep. some sort, and I can um, then borrow against that. Is that correct? Yes, that's all right. Okay, all right. And then the the rates of this thing, like, um, how does that work? Like, so uh, who determines what the I guess the interest fees should be. Is that all algorithmically determined by like yes. Andre's money robots? Yes, it's algorithm algorithmically determined. And I think that's where the AMM style utilization ratio comes into play. And so, uh, it, and it also uses Uniswap directly, like the actual Uniswap exchange design. Don't know how that works. That's kind of where I get lost, <laughs> okay. right? But it also uses this utilization ratio to incentivize uh, depositing of one asset that's underutilized and not depositing the one asset if it's overutilized. And I'm assuming there's variable interest rates as we've grown to expect from Compound and Aave integrated with that as well. But that's kind of where I'm, I'm a little bit confused as to how the whole system works. Okay, so I'm a I'm increasingly a big fan of this uh, year in finance newsletter. Mm -hmm. It comes uh, around weekly. And it, it's sort of, it's almost a full-time job to keep up with everything that Yearn is doing just in and of itself. So this does a good job of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they described it as stable credit as a synthesis between what you're describing, synthetic debt, like a die. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also like synthetics because it's all one, I guess, um, pool of mm -hmm. collateral yep. that you're, you're borrowing against. It mm -hmm. kind of synthesizes all of these things. And it's also like a lending protocol that we talked about. And it's also like, the, it, it, there's an automated market maker that comes embedded inside of it. So, mm -hmm. where what what's the source of demand for this new stable credit uh, dollar system? Is is that like um, adoption has been tricky for mm -hmm. Dai? Um, how is adoption of stable credit going to work? Yeah, is so it embedded in urine in some way. So th this whole stable credit system is actually totally agnostic from urine. So it doesn't have any re specific relationship to urine, except for the fact that Andre created it, right? And he okay. created it because he needed a place to deposit all of urine's capital because Yearn has been so incredibly successful that it's overflown all of the various places to like get yield from, right? And so Andre just solved this problem by making the stable credit system, except the whole point of the, the, the USD uh, new decentralized stablecoin is actually a byproduct, an afterthought. It's not the whole point of the protocol. The whole point of the protocol is to just be a place to submit assets and capital to, which is actually something that I'm just, I just think that's hilarious because like Yearn Finance is so incredibly successful that it has too much capital. So the guy that made Yearn Finance just created his own protocol, a brand new protocol to submit all this extra capital to in order to further yield, right? And so, uh, I, and again, I don't know where kind of these numbers come from. We'll, we'll figure it out when it's actually live in production. But with Yearn, this is, this is now a fantastic, uh, no ceiling place to submit capital, right? 
And, and so like uh, what was limiting prior was MakerDAO had a limited amount of dye it can produce, which is why the dye price is so high. Uh, and so it, could, it, couldn't, it couldn't leverage all that much capital, right? The YETH vault received like $300,000 or 300,000 ETH in like the first three days and maxed out the utilization of MakerDAO, right? And so Andre is like, well, all, the, all these, I've maxed out the utilization of all these other DeFi protocols, so I'm gonna make my own that doesn't have a cap on utilization. It only, the only cap is the balance. Okay, that's, that, that, that feels like that's really a big deal. It is a big right? deal. Because, it, this is because a big deal. The, the, prop, the challenge with Maker and with DAI uh, to this point, aside from governance challenges and those sorts of things of like having people have, having sort of tweak the knobs uh, when there's, you know, demand or, or supply changes with, with DAI, but scalability has been the, the, the main issue, right? And you're saying that, you know, so the scalability of DAI always has kind of a cap based on demand for uh, CDPs, for instance. Right. Well, but, but this doesn't have that. Make doubt risk parameters for me, but this Wait, doesn't have that. Right. This doesn't have governance, which is an insanely awesome thing. There's no governance over this thing. It just is. If it has a chain link Oracle, it works. Okay. Okay. So, and the reason it can have no, it doesn't need governance is because it has this AMM embedded inside of it yes. that essentially Monitors. like market adjusts yep. everything exactly. on the fly. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I mean, Chainlink to some degree is itself a governance platform, but also not really. And so like all of these non-governance tools are all available to Andre who just stitched them all together to create stable credit USD. Okay. So like, you know how we're always talking about, um, if only, if only we had a decentralized, highly scalable, uh, stable coin, mm -hmm. like um, mm -hmm. that, that would be the Holy grail, right? Yep. Vitalik's talked about this mm -hmm. and, and the, the key being that it would be also governance free, yep. right? So that it would be more scalable. Yep. Um, is that what this is? I mean, like, I think so. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I think that's what this is. Again, I, I can't say for certain because I'm not a, a 150 IQ genius, like, like Andre is, but like, I, that's what it seems to be. Question mark. I guess so. We'll find out. Wow. We'll find I out. mean, if so, if so, that could be huge. And yeah. when we say we'll find out, um, the contracts, smart contracts are already written and right. it just looks like they're some... already built. We're just waiting for the UI. It's insane, dude. <laughs> okay. So this is a, this could be a really big deal then. It's basically a yeah. new decentralized stablecoin that has no governance. It's only dependency is this chain link Oracle. But aside from that, which is somewhat apples to apples with Maker, just a different Oracle system, it it uh, doesn't have a ceiling in terms of its scalability. Yep. It can just kind of algorithmically adjust and, and go up or, or go down. I guess the only scalability limiter would be the the amount of um, ERC-20s, yep. essentially. The which, economic bandwidth right. of economic bandwidth. the yep. Ethereum chain, right. which is like aggregate of all ERC-20s mm -hmm. plus aggregate of the value of ETH, that's mm -hmm. essentially the economic bandwidth yep. of Ethereum. Yep. And that's the only scale limiter. Right. Now we just scale out the, the value are, of all of these. We have literally things. hit the internal capacity ceiling. There is no there is no ceiling other than Ethereum itself. That's pretty bullish, man. That's, that's pretty, pretty, pretty that's bullish. Pretty huge. Like, again, right. like I'm trying to contain myself because I don't want to like get a little bit out over my ski tips with like something I only understand like 80% of and maybe 80% yeah. is generous, but like 
it could just be like the biggest thing of, of the last like 12 months. Wow. Okay. We'll have to see. We'll have to see when it, when it ships, that could be super exciting. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's been sort of the Holy grail we've all been looking for in terms of a a decentralized stable coin that didn't have a, you know, scalability limiter. And and how it came about is just so incredibly hilarious. Andre was like, I kind of need this. And so I'll just build it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And what's cool though, is it is, um, it is, there's an element of standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Where you're stitching together concepts that are in synthetics that die mm-hmm. and maker pioneered and then also uniswap mm-hmm. without those three components this would not have been possible right it's back to that analogy of like you're in a video game and there's a tech tree and you have to mm-hmm. like unlock these three things before you can unlock that other thing that comes later and that's, that's right this is that other thing that's right that's right all right man that's cool all right <laughs> it's, well it's hilarious it's so yeah what is yeah very good what is space? very good i mean all we have to do is just like you know track what andre's doing and then that seems like um mm-hmm. the solutions just emerge from his brain he's mm-hmm. just like a melting pot of all that yep um all right cool let's talk about our last thing and this is like a a, a smorgasbord of i guess a few topics mm-hmm. that um have come up recently but one is this so just this morning micro strategy which is a publicly traded U.S. company. Mm-hmm. They're in the business uh, analytics intelligence space, kind of a B2B company. They're, they're piling on more Bitcoin on their balance sheet, right? right? So of course, all of these publicly traded companies, they have balance sheets. Generally, they have like, you know, uh, T-bills, bonds, uh, sovereign debt, mm-hmm. uh, some cash positions. This, this company and its CEO has decided to take that balance sheet and actually buy Bitcoin with it mm-hmm. rather than fiat based, um, <laughs> fiat based bonds and, 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 and cash. It's, that seems pretty crazy. Like what's going on here? Yeah. The crazy thing, this is the second time that this has happened with MicroStrategy, right? And so like maybe it was a month ago or so kind of hard to tell in during COVID times, but COVID and DeFi times, but uh, roughly a month ago, uh, MicroStrategy announced that they are going to put, um, like something like 300, 250 million dollars worth of Bitcoin on their balance sheet is like 0.1% of all Bitcoins, right? And that was that was like the biggest news. And I wrote a whole entire article based off of it, Bitcoin and Bitcoin's prisoner's dilemma. Good article, go read it. Um, and the whole idea is that like, how many companies does it take to purchase 0.1% of all Bitcoins out there before there turns into be like a supply side liquidity crisis of Bitcoin, right? And like Paul Tudor Jones did this and then and then MicroStrategy just did it. And then before before we hear about a third company doing it, MicroStrategy just does it again. Right. They just added more onto their balance sheet of Bitcoin. Right. And so here, here's what's going on is that the CEOs or the people in charge of this company, MicroStrategy, are just huge Bitcoin bulls. Right. Bitcoin, the mind virus of Bitcoin is infiltrating companies and leadership of companies with balance sheets who are seeing the money printer go burr and they are saying, you know what? Putting Bitcoin on the balance sheet, buying 1%, of all the Bitcoins out there. Those are ours. Uh, we're never going to give them up. Um, never going to let you down. And then all, and, <laughs> and then all like how many times does this, does this need to get repeated before there turns into just like a massive scarcity event of Bitcoin? Because all the, all the people, all the companies are having, uh, strong interest in protecting themselves from inflation. So it's this guy right here, this guy, Michael uh, Saylor. Looks like a Bitcoin is, bull. He is super bullish. So he, as you said, they already purchased a whole bunch of Bitcoin, but now they just added 175 million more 
for an aggregate total of 425 million. This is a publicly traded company that has decided to enter the, the game that is the scarcity game that is Bitcoin, essentially. Like, you know, you might call it a Ponzi game, but I mean that in kind of a good way. It's definitely a scarcity game. There's only 21 million. Everyone's kind of playing. Publicly traded companies are doing this. How soon until central banks start to do it, right? So this is maybe the first one that's starting to, to meet headlines. Other publicly traded companies may join. And then do we have small nation states that start to play this game too? It's a game of musical chairs, sir. Whoever wants to go first. And it seems like, uh, I, I don't really think people saw uh, that publicly traded companies would be the first to go. I think that's kind of a surprise. And that's kind of why it's, this is big news. Because I think you're right. I think some people, for some reason, thought that nation states and central banks were going to go first. But no, it's, it's, I think it's a, it's a much more of a bottom-up revolution, right? And in that bottom-up revolution, companies with balance sheets come before nation states and central banks, right? And I think they're going to be the last ones to buy Bitcoin, right? They're going to be the bag buyers who are buying million-dollar Bitcoin, right? And, and, com and companies with treasuries and, and balance sheets are just going to, going to go first. They can move faster. They can move quicker. They can deploy capital sooner. And so they're adding Bitcoin to their balance sheet. Work the Bitcoin's working it its way up. That feels bullish, feels bullish crypto, feels bullish yeah. Bitcoin. All right, let's talk about something else too. So another metric that I've been monitoring for quite a while is this metric that uh, Coinmetrics um, puts together. So a uh, great analytics um, company, Coinmetrics, they have like charts you can go see, um, they're free, but they put together this me metric for adjusted transfer value. And this is a comparison of Bitcoin in red versus Ether in green and adjusted transfer value, it basically just means um, the amount of Bitcoin that was transferred or the amount of ether that was transferred in the network in dollar value, right? So um, something interesting just happened recently that hasn't happened since I think briefly in uh, 2018, like the first quarter of 2018. And that is the value transferred on the Ethereum network in ether, native units of ether, has exceeded the value transfer on the Bitcoin network of Bitcoin. So the reason that is so huge is because this value transfer is happening without any bank, without any sovereign nation state. It is a pure trustless uh, transfer from like one, I guess, peer node, like one uh, L smart contract or individual or capital pool in the network to another. And it's also with a non-sovereign store of value. So that's what Bitcoin is on its network and what Ether is on its network. So it's it's essentially the, the most bankless uh, value transfer besides maybe like um, moving blocks of gold right. um, that like can occur. And I think it, it's, it's bullish uh, for Ether that it is starting to exceed the um, adjusted value transfer of, mm -hmm. of Bitcoin here. And I'm going to continue to to monitor that. But to me, that is the story of ETH as trustless collateral fueling DeFi. That's why you're mm -hmm. seeing a lot of this growth. This is the story that we talk about a lot on Bankless of ETH as money uh, in the same way Bitcoin is, is money on its network. So um, yeah, really cool data point to see. And I think bullish ETH on, the, on this one. You can you can see the rise of DeFi, right? And right at the end of this graph here, you can just see it. Um, and, and like that is the power of an internal ecosystem 
versus an external one. Like Bitcoin is five plus years older than Ethereum. And so it, it has the, the tailwinds of people of like companies putting it on their treasury. And Ethereum's equivalent of that is its internal DeFi ecosystem with, you know, unsatiable demand for Ether. Yeah, yeah, we'll see how this plays out. But it does, it does seem like um, some some of the bank list thesis is is coming through in the in the data here in the in the metrics here. But here's kind of a bear case for Ethereum. Uh, I suppose that's a, a narrative that's running rampant. I want to get your take on it. So, um, CZ, here's my take right here. But uh, CZ, who is the CEO of Binance, um, is has created an Ethereum killer, right? Essentially. So this is a Binance smart contract uh, platform um, called the Binance uh, Smart Chain, I believe. Um, and it even has its own um, Ether scan, basically, uh, B BSC scan, where you can kind of see wow, it is, it is run by, yeah, you can see like this looks just like Ether scan, but it is Binance Chain. And uh, CZ basically makes the argument that, hey, gas prices are, are too high. Um, I'm going to put together a $100 million ecosystem fund and go lure DeFi apps here. You've got yams, you've got, you know, these you know, games in the Ethereum world. You could just play those on Binance at a reduced price. And all you have to do is uh, trust our 21 validators, right? 21? Um, yes. Oh, so this God. is, these are the validators. Um, yeah, and there can only be 21. So it's a delegated proof of stake style network okay. where BNB, which is the Binance issued, uh, I guess, pseudo security loyalty coin, you might call it, is essentially the, the reserve currency asset and the thing that is securing this entire network. So CZ makes the case that you should come to the Binance chain. It is a better version of Ethereum because it is, it is more scalable. Uh, and I think he's making the case that... Um, Essentially, it's uh, the projects can be vetted. Um, it's not bulletproof, but you know, less less frauds, less scams because uh, CZ and Co. vet it, um, and then you get like I don't know ultimate rewards because you could do something with staking your BNB and earn multiple rewards simultaneously. Hard to ignore, he says. What's your take on this, David? Yeah, so. I, I don't want to. There there is room for something like this. Like there's room for CFI. And there's room for whatever CDFI is. Call it decentralization <laughs> theater, but call or call it just a, what it is. It's just a more centralized version of Ethereum. Maybe it also has customer support too. So like you know, people like that, right? Um, and maybe maybe this is what Tether is. Like somebody accidentally sent a million dollars to the wrong Tether contract or the wrong Uniswap contract, and then Paul Paulo Arduino of Tether was like, "Yo, DM me." and I will get you your money back, right? So there are advantages to CDFI. It's just not gonna replace Ethereum. It's not gonna replace the whole, the actual real thing, right? Like the, for, some, for some certain use cases, I'm sure that it will be beneficial, but no, it's not gonna replace DeFi. It's not gonna replace, like I, I of, often view this whole world as a landscape and there are different peaks and valleys of value uh, along this landscape, right? And so maybe there's a peak on some pseudo definess with some like centralized backstops, like being able to retrieve funds or or have co have customer support or whatever. I'm sure there's value there, 
But according to the protocol sync thesis, which has literally never been wrong ever, <laughs> the, the value peak at the DeFi end of the spectrum is just way too high to ignore. So like, again, tip of the hat to CZ for building. He, he's done a, He's built something cool uh, and it's going to remain over there where the DeFi zone isn't. So that's my take. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that's a good take. Yeah, it's kind of like the, I guess we've used the AOL analogy, right? So, but, but also according to the protocol sync, like the way we would expect this to play out is it's basically a, a bank centric, a far less credibly neutral chain than something like Ethereum, right? So like our, our, I think the protocol sync thesis take would be that Ethereum remains kind of the, the base settlement layer right so if you're a comp if you're a competitor to coinbase say you're a gemini or, you, or uh, if you're a competitor to binance say you're a gemini or you're a coinbase or you're a kraken um, you are not incented to build on binance's uh, binance chain with bnb as the reserve currency the money somebody the else's like equity token basically yeah exactly you want to build on the most credibly neutral system so like unless Binance kind of runs the world uh, and is the only chain in existence, um, it, the protocol sync thesis would, would predict that a much more credible, credibly neutral settlement layer will, will persist, right? Um, we'll have to see how that plays out. I guess the, the counter argument to that or the bare argument to that is that basically like people don't care about decentralization, David. They care about um, like permissionless programmable money whether that's BNB or whether that's something else, it doesn't really matter. They just want fast transactions and they want to be able to, to build on top of it in, you know, in the composable way that, uh, that something like Ethereum has allowed them to, to build on top of. So that would be the bear cases. Um, I guess we'll have to see how it plays out. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be, yeah, you're right. It's going to be a patiently wait and see. And uh, we've been playing this game ever since, like, I think EOS started it in 2017, where, like, the, the faster, quicker, slightly more, not slightly, significantly more centralized versions of Ethereum are going to come and take all of Ethereum's economic activity, you know? And, like, I guess we're going to continue to, we've been waiting and seeing for three and a half years now. I guess we'll continue to wait and see for the next three and a half years. At some point, some further people are going to capitulate like over the last like six months a lot of bitcoiners have capitulated to DeFi, and i think that uh, a lot of ethereum killers of the 2017 2018 2019 class have capitulated to becoming ethereum's l2 or sidechain uh, and i guess we have this new wave of ethereum killers who i guess we're just gonna have to wait and see but like i've been waiting and yep. for a while now so i already know where i'm at yeah, hasn't happened yet. So we'll have to see. Protocol sync thesis has held up pretty well so far. We'll see if that continues. Hey, last thing we should chat about is um, this really cool index that uh, set uh, TokenSet just came out with. So this is the DeFi Pulse Index. So you talked about um, capitulation here. Um, you know, th this may help retail. I guess, and even institutional investors capitulate into DeFi. Can you talk about what this is? Yeah. Uh, also, Ryan, your camera is frozen on my end. If you are sharing your screen, I'm not seeing it. Um, but I'll talk about what it is. Uh, okay. um, the def uh, This is coming out of SET protocol. And Anthony Cezano is coming on the Meet the Nation on Thursday uh, to talk about this. But this is something that I think is really, really cool and could be an asset that becomes foundational. There we go. Now I see it. 
um, could become like foundational to the rest of DeFi, right? A, De a DeFi index token, right? And there's so many conversations to have about this. Um, but like so something that a, a single asset that tracks the general value of DeFi is fantastic. And in, in the same way that Yearn simplifies things for yield farmers, I think this DeFi index will simplify things that, you know, people are, are hot on DeFi. I'm getting texts about DeFi from friends. You're getting texts about DeFi from friends. Now we don't have to tell anyone. It's like, hey, like this is this is what urine is. This is what Ethland is. This is what synthetics is. This is what compound is. It's like, you know, shut up. Just go buy the index. Like you're hot on DeFi. Go buy the, the DeFi index. This is a product for you. And people are people are used to like ETFs, right? Index right. funds, exchange traded funds in their brokerage. And this is basically a um, a token that you buy. There's here's the current price right now. It's hundred hundred nineteen dollars, and it gives you exposure to all of these underlying assets according to, is it according to David, the uh, total value locked on DeFi Pulse, or is it in a, in a, according to the market cap of these respective tokens? Hmm, that is um, a good question. I think it's the market cap of the token because I'm pretty sure Aave is number one on total value locked. I think it yep. has double uh, the amount of whatever Yearn has. So I think it's just an aggregate of the value of uh, the market cap of these specific tokens. Yep, that's what that's what it's saying in the summary here. So it's basically like overweighting twenty six percent of what you'd be purchasing is Wi-Fi right now because it is twenty six percent of the market cap of these top DeFi tokens. And you have Aave, you have Synthetics, you have Compound. It's just a great way to kind of buy the the DeFi market in one fell swoop. This super is, cool stuff. This is excuse my excuse my uh, wordage here, but this is such a big dick move from Set because like <laughs> we know that in like the S and P five hundred, like companies are like two fighting tooth and nail to get included in the S and P five hundred because if you're in the S and P five hundred, that means you can be included in a lot more funds and a lot more investment strategies. If you're outside of the S and P five hundred, you're kind of like a nobody, right? And so. Yeah. Now there's like this curated list of uh, approved DeFi tokens that everyone's going to be. I feel bad for Anthony or whoever's doing like support at, at token sets because they're going to be like, hey, people are going to be knocking on the door. Hey, will you let us into the DeFi token set like index? Because we, we want to be in there. Uh, that This is going to be a hot commodity. And I would expect that that these specific tokens get some sort of a pump just because uh, maybe over the over the long term, not over the short term. But you know, just the fact that this index includes these tokens is bullish for these tokens specifically. Yeah, you will notice, for instance, um, a link isn't here. So I bet the Link Marines uh, might have something to say about that. Ooh, um, spicy, spicy. <laughs> we'll see. All right, David. Well, we have covered a whole bunch of things today, from Gitcoin all the way to MicroStrategy buying Bitcoin, all the way to token sets here. So I think we should uh, we should wrap it up for this state of the nation. Absolutely. This was a this was a long one, but absolutely jam packed full of good content. So thanks everyone for listening to this week's State of the Nation. This State of the Nation is funding. We are having fun funding. All right, man. Uh, risk and disclaimers. Uh, ETH is risky. Of course, so is crypto. DeFi is risky. Even assets like ETH and Bitcoin are risky. But so are smart contracts. You could lose what you're put it, putting in. But as Kevin said, we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone. But we're excited you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.